There are times when you may not be able to go outside and ride your bike. Maybe there's snow outside. Maybe your bike isn't running, no matter the reason. Not being able to ride your bike is no excuse to slack on your riding skills. In fact, it's a great time to build your riding skills. And today, Jimmy Lewis has some drills and methods that you can use to drastically increase your skill level for riding motorcycles. And guess what? You don't even need to start your bike. Also, today we have our exclusive Southward Chronicle series with Jeremy and Elle traveling from Canada to Ushuaia and back. Well, despite all their planning for their worst-case scenarios, bringing their own gear so they can separate and go their own ways, it looks like they're going to be forced to drastically change their plans. Will it deem the trip a failure? We'll talk about that and more. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Before we get started, I want to thank these fine companies that helped get this episode out today. It's wind pressure that powers the Moto Breeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters. CyclePump.com Hi, I'm Jim Martin. We've been producing this show going on six years now. We've got a massive library of interviews with the top names in adventure motorcycle travel. We've got loads of tech and informational episodes and, and of course, our rider skills programs. And we have our monthly show called Raw, where we have a group of regulars that sit around and discuss motorcycle travel topics. Hundreds of hours of audio programs available everywhere podcasts are found. We built this show on a model of advertising and listener support. Adventure Rider Radio is the most downloaded motorcycle podcast in the world. And as well, it's in the top 5% of all podcasts, all genres for downloads. There's a lot of people listening to the show, yet only a very small percentage actually support it. Well, with the global economy being what it is right now, we're already feeling the pinch. And if you aren't doing it already... We need your support. Drop by the website, adventureriderradio.com, and click on support. We'd love to have you on our patron support team, so that way we can count on it each month as we continue to produce this show weekly. And supporting with only $5 and up will allow you access to our ad-free version of the show for just $5 or more. adventureriderradio.com and click on support. Thanks. I'm Sam Manning. Ted Simon. Austin Vince. Simon Pavey. Brian Phil. Helga Pedro. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Carl Parker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. Elspeth Jansen. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Well, today on our Rider Skills program, we have drills and exercises for those times when you can't ride your bike. Whether it's winter or whether it's a COVID-19 lockdown, doesn't matter. Use these methods and you can work on improving your riding skills without actually riding your bike. 
Rider Skills is an exclusive program we developed here at Adventure Rider Radio designed to give you the tools that can improve your riding skills both on and off-road. Now, of course, this segment is not meant to be a substitute for professional training. These are ideas and concepts that should you choose to try, you're doing so at your own risk. Now, today we have Jimmy Lewis. Jimmy has been riding since he was eight years old. He is an ex-racer. He is a Dakar podium finisher, double class winner, um, four times international six-day enduro gold medalist, ISDE Silver Vase junior world champion. He is world champion. He has been the overall winner at the Baja 1000, the overall winner at the Dubai rally. He has worked at Cycle World Magazine as their off-road editor, and he's now retired from racing professionally. He runs his own school called Jimmy Lewis Off-Road Riding School. Um, Today, what we're tackling here is ways to increase our skill level, build our skills for riding without actually riding the bike. So it could be wintertime. Maybe you can't ride the bike and you're going to do it inside. Whatever the case is, these are things you can do without even firing the bike up. And you've got that for us today. Uh, I hope so. I mean, it's, it's funny. This is stuff that we've been doing in our school for quite a long time. We spend a good portion in the beginning of every school, not riding, and it's not just lecturing. It's, (laughs) we spend a lot of time working on, you know, balance and really getting to the, the fundamentals and the basics of it. And that's all it's, it's the hardest when you're not moving. So of course we are stationary. You know, I, I have people mention, since we've had you on the show a number of times now, and they'll say, oh, I'll hear sometimes, oh, I, I took a class with him. And I was blown away by how much time they spent on balance, but then so impressed with what I learned. What is the big deal about balance? Um, it's, it's everything. It's, it's the, it's, so I, in, in my world, there's, there's two things that are, that are, that two things determine everything that's going to happen on your motorcycle. Uh, number one, and the most important is balance. And number two is traction. Everything requires that you're in balance and people think balance most of the time, just side to side. But even with your body on the motorcycle, you have, you know, many different dimensions of balance that you're kind of, kind of working with. So having a super high level, uh, understanding of that and, and then mostly a feel for it. And this is where these drills and techniques that we're going to talk about kind of come into play you know, it's, it's instinctive. We walk, we do amazing things just by walking around on our feet all day long that we don't even think about. You know, you, you roll out of bed in the morning, your feet hit the ground and you do this amazing thing. You stand up and if you tried to stand, you know, stand up on your hands, if you had the strength to go stand on your hands, you probably wouldn't be able to do it because you just haven't developed that, you know, it's called proprioception, the, the muscle memory, the, the stuff to do that. And for some reason we don't really develop that on the motorcycle as much as we should, at least I feel Mm -hmm. because we get on the motorcycle and then we go. And all of a sudden we've got all this momentum and inertia that's, that's really masking how out of balance you are. And when I'm talking with just a, a regular rider or I'm talking to a racer and, and so regular rider, it's like, Hey, how come I get so tired when I ride or a racer goes, how come that guy can go that much faster around this turn or do this? And it's, 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 always, always comes back down to balance. So, um, just right from the first roll of the wheel, I want you to be balanced so we can minimize that causing all the problems later down the road. So when we're talking about balance, are are we talking about balance for us as humans or are we talking about balance with us as humans on the bike? Both. Yeah, both. When I watch most people just walk over their motorcycle and 
it's it's very few that take the motorcycle, especially the adventure bike, off the center stand or side stand before they climb onto it because they're afraid the bike's going to fall over. And generally, most people are really afraid of it falling away from them. And uh, just because they they can't catch it, if it's falling away, it's going <laughs> to it's going to pull them away usually because. It doesn't take too many degrees out of balance for an adventure bike to to really take <laughs> over, yeah. um, and then and then they don't want that bike leaning on them because it's going to lean on you and crush you if it if it starts falling over. There's only so many degrees before it becomes too hard to hold up. So so when we start, we start with making people become very aware of when their motorcycles balance. So when they do take it off the stand, they really, a lot of times they really have it leaning on them there to the point where they, they have to be hanging onto both grips on the handlebars. You know, they need that much strength or they, they're really grabbing onto something. And, and it's like, you know, if you just bring that up, like, you know, two degrees more, you could let go of the bike and it'll actually sit there. And when you have a bike that's perfectly balanced or it's, it's really close to perfectly balanced, if you let go of it, it takes a long time. I mean, we're talking almost a second, so 1,001 for it to start moving. Mm. And you're not talking about a balanced bike as in the bike's been weighted. You're talking about the bike in the right, uh, any bike in the right just, position. Just sitting there on its two tires with no center stand or side stand down. But most people have it that, you know, half a degree or, or one degree. I don't know how many degrees it is before, you know, that, they, that they're having it lean. But you start it there. Well, the, the one good thing about that is you know which way it's going to fall. If it's already going one way or the other, you know which side that is. But once it's that one degree over, you let go of it, it goes quick. And it's it's getting closer and closer to that perfect point of balance that buys you time and saves you energy and makes you aware. And, you know, you just – and it's just, it's just habit. Now, this can be one of those times where riders tend to fool themselves, can it? Where, where they wrestle the bike to get on it. They get it in gear and get it moving as fast as they can. So they benefit from the gyroscopic effect of the wheels and inertia and sort of get that sensation that they're in control. You can, you can do a lot of things wrong when you've got the, you know, when the wheels are spinning. And we just, we see it in when, just when someone like takes off when they, when they go they, they literally, they, it's, you can hear them like rev the motor up and kind of, and kind of go quickly, you know, take off and they need to get going that five miles an hour, that seven miles an hour before they even feel comfortable. And they also won't, you know, they won't slow down, <laughs> you know, they won't ride slower than that because they are going to tip over or fall over. So it, it, it is so, so important. And, and it has, it has, you know, everything you do it is affected by how, how much you're in balance. And when you watch very, very high level riders, you know, that, that are doing those crazy trial skills and stuff. You, you watch them when they, when they slow down and they come, you know, they come to the stop, they, they, they almost center up and they, 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 they'll, they'll bounce or move around in the motorcycle to get it absolutely perfect before they go and do that, that maneuver, you know, whatever that high level maneuver is. Cause if they're out of balance one bit, things aren't going to go right. And, mm. and essentially having the bike come out of balance is initiating a turn. Like if it starts leaning over to one side and you give it some power, it's going to go to that side quite, you know, quite aggressively. So, um, that's, that's the, that's the kind of the background on why it's so important. And, and so we're just talking right now, just about just keeping the bike in balance. And of course, if you're on it, then you have to be very aware of your balance just as it, just as you are or not when you're walking when you're moving around. Well, let's talk about some of the drills that you have. Where do we start? The first one that I, I think is important is um, trusting that you can balance your motorcycle. And I always say with one finger. And and the reason for this is, 
well, because I want to be better than the BMW Academy. They let you use the whole hand. But like at our school, we always say one finger. And it's it's I want you to take your bike off the stand and balance it, you know, side to side and and get it to the point where you can hold it with just one finger. So you, usually it's two fingers. You're, you know, dancing it between the hand guard or, or you, you know, there's a the frame rail. But because if you're using more energy than that, I say you're using too much energy, you know, because it if it was perfect, it could stay balanced like that. But you're going to have to influence it a little bit. And if there's no wind and it's completely calm and uh, the, it's amazing how long the bike will stay balanced when you get it just perfect. So, so just, you know, literally balancing the bike and that's, that's kind of just step one. Okay. Well, well hang on. Uh, now, I think some people will look at that as sort of a parlor trick. What are we learning from that? Or are we just sort of showing off and, and saying, Hey, look what I can do. Or are we actually learning something from that? You're learning something from that because when, when you do it, when you get it like that, and this is step two on that drill, when you get it like that, you get it all balanced and it's all comfortable, then go ahead and lean it towards you and, and just start leaning it more and more and feel how much more energy you have to use and then put it back up and then, you know, lean it, let it lean back. And then, so I guarantee you that the first time you do it, you're going to be so afraid of getting it up to that balance point you know, you want to feel some weight of the motorcycle pushing. That's your comfort level. You're like, I don't want it to fall. Then start leaning away from you and get comfortable leaning it, you know, and make sure you've got a good grip on it, you know, hang on to it someplace and don't go too far to where it's going to, you know, tug and pull you, but let it go a little ways, then pull it back a little bit more, pull it back. So you're just teaching yourself through, you know, a very simple drill where the bike is in and out of balance. And by doing this, you'll realize that, man, I was putting a lot of energy into letting that bike lean on me, or I sure was afraid of actually getting the bike balanced because I thought it was going to tip over. Because I, I guarantee if you walk up just as a regular person on the street, standing next to their motorcycle, and you ask them to hold on to the handlebar or whatever and lean it away from them, they will not do it. They're scared. And this is why when you watch a video of somebody that's a, a skilled rider, ride an adventure bike, a big heavy adventure bike, maybe the same bike that you're riding, and it looks so light the way they maneuver it. They stand there with their hand on the handlebar while they're talking beside it, and you're thinking, why does their bike look so much lighter than mine? <laughs> uh, yes, I, I, I concur 100%. I mean, I, you know, when I'm, doing, when I'm doing demos and stuff, I'm always riding around with one hand and you know, do, doing very light on the bars and, and balance people. Like, how do, you, how do you do that? And I go, oh, it's, it's a long road. It's a, it's a tricky, you know, a tricky uh, thing to practice, but this is where you start. So, is, is, so that's our practice for the bike. That's all it is. That's the step one. It's just the bike, you know, getting comfortable, leaning it away from you, bringing it towards you, getting it balanced, and then and then as you let it come towards you or away from you, learn how to pull it right back into balance, not push it past the crux of the balance point. If that, if that kind of makes sense. Mm, yeah. And I think that's part of what I was asking too, is it, is that sort of what you're learning, isn't it? Uh, that, that feeling of, um, you, you realize much quicker when it starts to go out of balance. Wow. I think I just said the key thing there, right there that I learned from you, didn't I? It, it, it's exactly that it's, and you're just going to be more aware of it and you're going to be just from the start. You're not, it's going to feel uncomfortable to have your bike a little bit out of balance. Mm -hmm. Like for me, I want it. I literally want it perfectly balanced to the point where I almost don't know which way it's going to going to fall, you know, which way it's going to lean. And, and, and then, and then it's like, okay, I don't want it to go that way. So I'm going to lean it this way just a little bit. And that's all, not more. 
Uh, that that can be that can be done anywhere, um, anytime, on any surface. <laughs> Maybe not ice <laughs> or slippery mud, <laughs> you know. But um, you know, you can do this. You can do this out in your in your yard on the lawn. You can do it in the driveway. Um, and and believe it or not, it even works on off camber. Uh, you know, because because balance doesn't change based on the uh, the angle of the ground. Oh, right. That's a good point. So it doesn't have to be on a flat surface. Doesn't have to be on a flat surface. The the only thing that happens when you do that is all of a sudden you're going to have a better side, especially for us with short legs, you're going to have a better side to be doing this from. Mm, Okay. (laughs) So, so that's, that's sort of step one. Okay. What's step two? Step two is where we actually kind of get on the motorcycle. And once in, in my world, uh, once you're on the motorcycle, you're only allowed to have one foot on the ground. At any time, you're never allowed to put both feet on the ground. Because like I say, when when both the feet come off, when uh, in other words, when you do not have one foot on the foot peg, you're out of control. And I say that because if something starts going wrong and you're trying to get off the motorcycle, you don't have a platform to get yourself off. It's really hard to push yourself off of the motorcycle with just the handlebars, and especially when you're kind of sitting down. But the other thing is, is if your both feet are off the foot peg, if that motorcycle is going someplace, you're probably going to go with it. You know, you're, you're at this point, you're now along for a ride and you've given away all of your ability to influence the bike. That's why I, I, we teach, you know, essentially steering and controlling the motorcycle as much as possible through the foot pegs, um, very minimal energy through the handlebars. So when we start doing this drill, you, you're, you need to teach yourself how to get on to the motorcycle in, in a nice, you know, whatever the, the most fluid motion, the easiest motion is. Of course, side stands up without knocking it out of balance. And that's, that's tricky just even getting onto it. So you can kind of play around with that, you know, just get comfortable, you know, figure out, figure out that maneuver. And then once you're, once you're on it, you, you go from, you know, you're, you, you have one foot on the ground and one foot's on the air going up over the top of the seat and it goes to the foot peg and then figure out how to pick your foot right up and then almost just sit there and balance and whether you, whether you go from that one maneuver over and you're actually, you kind of go to a standing position or you go to a sitting position, you know, you try to have this moment of balance where you don't know which way that bike's going to fall. So we've gone from balancing the bike. So we don't know which way it's going to go to getting yourself onto the bike without upsetting it and then coming into balance. And it's, that is tricky. That is very, very difficult. Now, one of the things you, you mentioned earlier was uh, when we were talking was about where to do this. You you don't might not want to do this in your garage necessarily. <laughs> I, I I like to use the reference of dominoes. Pretend like you 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 you're a domino, and you when you fall over because it could happen, uh, you don't want to hit anything. <laughs> but in this case, we're still we're not actually rolling with the bike at all. So yeah, maybe the lawn might be the best. Whatever you're comfortable with, I guess if you don't mind your bike hitting the gravel. <laughs> then fine. But otherwise, maybe the lawn, your softest surface, I guess is what I'm hey, saying. You know how people don't ride, like riding in sand? Mm, yeah, that's true. <laughs> sand, sand, sand is like the best to do this. And I, I joke when, you know, cause everybody really wants to do sand and we, we have sand, we take it in the sand in the class. And it's, it's like, I remember all that stuff we were doing in the front yard. Cause they stop doing it. Once they get in the sand, everything goes out the window, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's like, Hey, watch the bike. Cause I can, I can balance my bike in the sand and walk away from it. Isn't that kind of cheating a little bit? Because the sand's yeah, no, a little bit so, easier. It's 
totally cheating. And, and, and then, and then the other thing about, you know, the sand is that all of a sudden the tires sink in a little bit, guess what? Lower seat height, <laughs> easier to touch, <laughs> easier true. to touch the ground. I, hey, look at the bright side. But anyways, yeah. So uh, yeah, soft surface probably wouldn't um, hurt anything, especially in the beginning, uh, doing this, you know, if you have the opportunity to have a heavy bike and a lighter bike, a lighter bike will, um, in the beginning be a little bit easier, uh, just because you can muscle it and do stuff. But Here's, here's the other interesting reason why I, I encourage people to learn and practice on smaller bikes. The bigger bike is harder to knock out of balance. It takes more energy to knock it out of balance. So it's also really good at masking, you know, the, the, the out of balance-ness of a rider. Uh, so, so the smaller bike, your little inputs are realized quite a bit more. And then if it does start falling, you can also save it. Where big bike, uh, Depends on how strong you are. Would you be able to get the same or a similar thing by practicing on a mountain bike? Uh, anything that, yeah, anything that's going to balance like a motorcycle would be would be helpful. But a bicycle, for sure, in the beginning, I think a bicycle probably wouldn't be a bad a bad thing. The the awkward thing there would be with the pegs, you know, having the yeah. the pedals, and I always say pegs. <laughs> so having the the pedals are not you know kind of parallel with each other. They're usually in a in a different in a different line, and plus they pivot quite a bit, which is mm-hmm. for me very awkward. Uh, so so you, I mean, but you could you could kind of start there. It would be uh, easy to do. But if like I said, if you have a lighter bike. Um, uh, then picking it up is a lot easier. And I do this on, I do this on my big bike and, and I practice, I do practice this. And a lot of times it's just when I'm, you know, kind of bored or I'm explaining something or, I mean, I'll be st- standing in the garage for no reason talking to somebody and I'll just take my bike off the center stand and just start, start, you know, with my two fingers on the handguard, just kind of balancing it. And they're like, what are you doing? I go, just practicing. Mm-hmm. I'm, do- I'm, I'm, my brain's thinking about something else, but it's also doing this over here. And they're like, Oh, huh, that's interesting. So we'll get back on to, you know, being, you know, getting on the motorcycle, learning that maneuver. That's initially the hardest thing because you're so, you know, you're, you're balancing on one foot and you're, you know, trying to get your leg over the seat and, you know, you have to bend at the hips and there's a lot of stuff going on and everybody bends a little bit different and some people aren't, their knees aren't that good or their hips aren't that good. Um, it, it's, you, it's good to practice this. And people say, well, I, don't, I, I mean, I don't really think I should practice that. Like, Every time you go ride and you have to get on and off your motorcycle, you might as well get good at it. Yeah. So, so, so that's st- step one. So once you're on it and, you know, let's just say you've kind of gone on there, you're, you're now sitting down, you have one foot on the foot peg and one foot on the ground, which is probably where you need to be. I want you to, we'll call it cross over the bike. So I want you to go from one side of the bike to the other side of the bike. And in the beginning, you can have your hands on the handlebars. And, you know, you hang on to the bars because it's a great lever, you know, if you need to use it. But like I always say with the handlebars, use them as little as possible. So when you need to use them, you can put all your energy into it. Mm. So, so you're, you're on the bike. Let's just say your right foot's on the foot peg, your left foot's on the ground. And you're going to go from there to putting your right foot on the ground and your left foot up on the foot peg. But I want you to do it in, in a very... A specific way. So the first thing you do is you pick your foot up off the ground. So you pick your left foot up off the ground, get it all the way to the foot peg. And hopefully you just sit there perfectly balanced and nothing happens. I mean, that that's a pipe dream, but <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the that, goal. 
that's the goal, but you pick, it won't happen though. It'll take a long, you, you can let the air out of the tires and cheat it, you know, if you wanted to, but it's, it's not oh, going to happen. Stop giving these cheats. Now we've got <laughs> sand and air. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know all the cheat. Remember you said Polar tricks. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you all the Polar tricks because people say, oh, that's, that's what you're doing. And I'm like, no, not, no full pressure in these tires. I'm not cheating. Hmm. Um, so anyways, so you lift your foot up at, you have this moment of balance where both of your feet are on the foot peg and then you put your, you know, you lift your right foot off the foot peg and put it on the ground. Now, when you start doing this, you're probably going to pick your foot up off the ground and then the bike's going to want to go back down to that side again. It's going to want, you know, so you have to start realizing, Hey, maybe I'm going to, maybe I've got to like lean a little bit to the other side of the bike. Cause you're so afraid of it going down. Cause your foot's not on the ground. It's up on the foot peg. It's a long ways down. And, and just this, this very, um, you know, delicate maneuver is pretty complex. It's pretty difficult. And, and so sometimes you're, it's going to take 10 or 11 times of picking that left foot up before you, you have enough confidence to have your bike in balance again. So you can pick it up and it, it does stay balanced. And like I said, don't, you don't want to be muscling with the handlebars. Um, you want to do it through your body as much as possible, maybe shifting your hips and, and, and smaller riders that, that have to, that have a long reach down to the ground. They've actually got to, you know, get themselves up and shift their butt from one side of the seat to the other before they can put that other foot down. So that's a scary maneuver. I mean, even if you just kind of visualize that in your head right now, mm-hmm. and that's, that's the kind of, you know, the step one there is just going from one side, we call it crossing the bike, going one from one side to the other. And this type of maneuver, like we're talking about doing it without having to ride your bike, but this is something you can actually do when you're out riding. Anytime you stop, you can stop and put one foot down, which is one thing that I like to do is just take those moments. You stand, you're, you're on your bike, you're talking with somebody, you're sitting on the seat to just do that. Just pick up your foot and try and balance your bike, put your foot back down. I like the cross, the thing that you're doing, yeah. obviously it's, it's and I, ideally this, this skill, this, this one foot down and technique will carry on because it, you know, in our class, like I said, if I see both feet off the foot pegs, I'm literally, I start pointing at you and I look at you like you're out of control. Okay. So are we now, are we done on the bike at this point? No, 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 no. That's, that's step, that's step one. We can, we can do, we can do this for a couple hours. (laughs) So (laughs) we don't have a couple hours. I I, I got it. I'll get, I'll get on the next one. So the next thing is, so now you start doing this, uh, do it with no hands. So you take the hands off the handlebars. That'll add a whole level of complexity to it because you're gonna, now you're going to have to because it's this crutch. It's like oh, I feel comfortable when I'm and when I'm hanging onto the bars like that. Okay, so just to be clear here, what we're what we're at right now is we've we've sat on the bike with our hands on the lightly on the handlebars. We're putting one foot down, then lifting it up, putting it on the peg, and then putting the other foot down, all the while balancing the bike. Now what we're going to do is we're going to do the same exercise without touching the bars. So now you've got to really balance the bike, lift one foot up, set on the peg, take your other foot, put it down and keep doing that to increase the balance. Yeah. And then you do it to where you're standing up. So, so you have the one foot on the ground and you, you use that spring of the foot on the ground to, to give you the initial push up. And then the foot that's on the foot peg kind of picks you up. So you go from one foot on the ground to a standing position on the motorcycle. So you're standing there balanced and then you put one foot back down. And so you can, you can always say, Hey, I want to, I want to pick my right foot up and put my left foot down. But maybe you, you're so good at this. Now you stand up and you're going to just stay there perfectly balanced. And then the bike and you will decide which side you're going to put your one foot back down, but it's only, you only get to play with one foot on the ground. That's it. Mm, that adds a whole new level. That's a big jump from the first one. And then you do that with no hands. 
Mm. And and it, it, it can be done. I do it. I do it all the time. And people are just blown away. It's like, it's like, it's funny. Cause the, 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 the one where I go from standing with no hands to standing up, that's the one I'm the most balanced at, especially right? on the, especially on the adventure bike, because the, the adventure bike's hard. The big heavy bike is hard for me to knock it out of balance. You know, I have to, in order to do that, it's funny because here's where the, the circus trick It's in order to do that and come to balance, you have to get a little bit out of balance because you're going to throw some energy back at that foot peg. You know, the, the, the sure. one that you're going to, you're going to stand up. So, so, so when you kind of spring up there, everything has to, and that's, there's no way you could sit there and I could say, okay, you're going to put a uh, 98.6% of your weight on this foot and, and you know, whatever's left over here. And uh, there's no way we can break it in numbers. It's just something that has to be practiced and experienced. Now, do you find that most of your students will get to this point, being able to stand up from one foot on the ground to standing on their pegs by the time you're done the course? Or is that something that's going to take some uh, quite a bit of time? Obviously, it's going to be different for everyone, but I mean, on average. Usually usually in about um, 20 minutes is how long we kind of spend doing this in the beginning. In about 20 minutes, I can get them to the point where they're going from, you know, one foot into that standing position, but they're using the handlebars. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of times, and it's, everybody's a little bit different we can do different things to, to kind of make them, to show them what they're doing wrong. You know, it's because a lot of times it's like breaking a bad habit. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, you're, you're starting off with that bike leaning over a little bit too much. It's never going to work when it's in, when it's leaning a little bit. And that's why it's so important to realize, okay, is my bike balanced? Okay. Bike's balanced. Is my body balanced? Okay. My body's balanced. And a lot of people never even do that check. They're, They're like, Oh, it's, it's not working. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so maybe you put their bike a little bit more out of balance and they go, Oh, I don't like that. And it's like, good. Then you don't, you shouldn't like the 3% out of balance. You are, we need to get it down to, you know, zero or point, 0.5 and you know, so little steps. Okay. So what's the next step? Um, I, <laughs> the, I don't think, I don't think you can ever perfect this drill. I, I think you, at this point you're, you're doing this kind of crossing over the bike, whether you're doing it kind of from a, you know, sitting or stand, but then you're just holding yourself up. And ideally you would want to just at this point be balanced and be ready to ride away. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the goal you, you want to. So when you're thinking about why am I doing this, you want to get to this point where it's like, Hey, now I stand up and I'm like, Oh, I'm totally balanced. Now I can ride away. And it's, and you get very comfortable and you're relaxed. You don't get tired when you do this in the beginning, it's going to be like a cardiovascular exercise. But as you practice it more, as you, as you do this, it's like, it doesn't use any energy and that's where you want to get. Okay. So, um, what, what other drills do you have? Uh, for, for stationary and, and yep, for stationary, because still. you you have one where you have a, a tool that you've made. Oh, the, oh, the balance board. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so I sent the picture of that. Right. Um, so <laughs> which that we will we put do, in the show notes. Right. Okay. So, so the balance board, it's really simple. It's basically a, fen- a round fence post, about a three inch round fence post with either a sheet of plywood um, you know, that's more like a plank. So, uh, so the fence post is maybe, um, 16 inches long. And then the, the, the sheet of plywood that sits on top of it and you just screw it down there and there, there, it's about maybe 10 inches wide, or it's a two by four that will just screw onto the top of the post. And then you basically stand on that. And (laughs) so this has prevented so many crashes in our school because what we found out is that when we, when we first went out and had people do the drills I just talked about where they were crossing over the bike and stuff. We had a lot of people tipping over when we made this balance board and we kind of did it just to, cause it, that's the way a bike balances is side to side. And, but just standing on that thing and working on that balance 
wakes up something inside of your brain. And Mm. we had a lot less tipping over. It tunes you up. And so we have people stand on those and play around with it. And I think the secondary effect is you don't have a handlebar on that balance board. And right. so when we, when, when people struggle with it, I walk over and I hold my arm out and I say, hang on to it like it's a handlebar. And the minute, the minute they touch onto that, they can balance like crazy, but you mm-hmm. take it away and then they get wobbly and they want to fall over. But that's what happens on the motorcycle. You get this sense of comfort, but that handlebar is not really the best tool for, for balancing the bike. And in, in, in reality, you know, when you're, when you're up on the wheels and up kind of balanced and you're not going anyplace, bars don't do a whole lot, you know, as far as, you know, you, you just don't have the ability to, to maneuver the motorcycle with the handlebar. But so this balance board, just by playing on it, wakes up your balance sensors. And like we were talking about, just standing on one foot for a minute, um, allows you to, you know, get, get a little bit more in tune with it. So just for a visual, the balance board, it's almost like if you walked up to a sign and you cut the sign off just below the sign and it had a big post that the sign was mounted to and then and laid it on the ground and stood on it, bouncing back and forth, just just for that visual. Um, and, and I want to just jump back quickly. You mentioned the bars. You said the bars don't do much for you. You're talking about if they're static, but if you're sat there and you're turning the bars back and forth, you know, like we've seen, uh, many people have probably seen the, the Honda motorcycle that they came out with that balances itself just by using the handlebars. That's different. You're working the bars back and forth. Yeah, that, that <laughs> when I see, when I see that, that's, that's using that track stand um, mm-hmm. technique or principle. And, and, and that's and leverage, I, isn't it? That's, that's because of the geometry of the, of this suspension. And, of the and, front and end. I'll bet, I'll bet you that that bike is tweaked a little bit, you know, so it has a little bit more rake and trail. So, yeah. so that that actually does work the way it's um, designed to, but I don't think, think our, our, our processing power is that, uh, that yeah, defined that, on, that on that one, and, and on that one thing. You're right. I was going to say it, it does. It actually increases the rake when it goes into that mode, it increases the rake. Hmm. Interesting. So like I said, it's that, it's that, it's that sign, you know, kind of signpost sort of thing. And, and there's, there's, there's also some ways to approach this. And like I always say, I always jokingly say, sneak up on it. So when you go to stand on it before you just, you don't just jump on it and magically thing to balance. You want to put all your weight on one side, like walk up and, you know, you, you have your two feet on the ground. You take one foot and put it onto the balance board. Cause it's now it's a little bit off angle and off kilter. And from there, you, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have this moment where you slowly, you know, you're going to balance on one foot and you slowly put your foot back down, but all your weight's on the one foot that's on the ground and the other, the other one's up in the air. And then, and then you slowly start transferring your weight over. You don't just try to snap it up and come to this balance position. You know, you kind of slowly sneak it into balance. And, uh, that's, that's kind of the, the, you know, the technique to get there. And in the beginning, you're going to struggle with it. And then after you practice for a while, you could be talking on the phone on this balance board and they make some, there's some other ones called like a bongo board that actually has a, a pin that rolls underneath the plank, you know? So there's a oh, lot yeah. of different variations in this. Um, ours is a little more fixed, just real easy to make. And if you do the, if you do the one that has the, the, the piece of plywood on it, so it's more like the plank. I also, I also bolt down a little small, maybe, uh, you know, uh, you know, one by, you know, one and a half inch little thing that simulates a peg. And so, you know, make it the same size as a foot pig. And then I actually put my feet on that and then I'm, I'm, I'm walk my feet around on it so that I'm not heel to toe anymore. So I'm actually balancing on that piece as well. Hmm. So, cause the two by four is actually a little wider than most pegs. So it actually makes it easier, but th- then you can do you know, the plywood one. You can actually put this little wood peg on. And I, I have pictures of both, um, kind of both designs 
in the photos I sent you. Now, as far as a, a recap goes for this, I mean, I, we, we pretty much covered it. It's, it's getting out there and practicing these things, um, learning balance. And uh, the exercise is kind of the same, isn't it? Yep, it, it is. And, and the, I mean, in the recap, I, I say when you finally get to ride, the work that you're doing here is, is going to be achieved because you, your sense of balance is just a little bit more finely tuned mm-hmm. and you can, you can start realizing that, that, Hey, this, this is kind of paying off. You know, when you, when you finally come to a stop and you put your one foot down, you kind of come to the stop and you go, Hey, I don't have to put my foot down so quick. In fact, I don't have to ride up to the stop sign with my rudders out, not knowing which side this bike's going to fall to. Right. <laughs> And, and practice is, is just getting out there and doing these things. Yeah. And, and, you know, it could be, you know, you're actually going to dedicate a little bit of time to do it, or maybe when, you know, when your buddies are taking a little bit too long to get their gear on, or you, you know, you end up a a little bit ahead of them someplace and you're waiting for them. It's a great time to, you know, just kind of do a couple of these and tune up on them. And it, it will, it, you'll get really good at it. I think you, in the beginning, you'll make a really big, quick step. But as you, as you get more and more comfortable, you start thinking about, Hey, am I putting energy into the handlebars? Am I, you know, am am I, you know, using too much energy when I stand up? How can I, how can I really fine tune this? Like, am I getting the most out of that foot that's on the ground when I go to, you know, push myself off, you know, to, to get myself onto the motorcycle, off the motorcycle, things like that. It's the minute details that you probably never even thought of before that can really make a big difference. That's great, Jimmy. I really appreciate that. Always fun to sit and talk about this stuff with you. Thank you very much. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on. I, I, uh, I, I, it's, I, I enjoy your challenging questions too, because, <laughs> because, because I, it, it, it makes me think just like, you know, just I, I'm practicing thinking about how I can better explain, explain these techniques. Oh, that's great. I love it. That was Jimmy Lewis from his training center in Nevada. And you can find out more about Jimmy and what he does at his website, jimmylewisoffroad.com. Now that link will be in the show notes along with the instructions that he just gave us. Um, We have that broken down and, and printed out so that you can look at it in case you haven't made notes while you've been listening now. And you can go through it step by step. And the photographs that um, Jimmy gave us of his balance tool. So that's all in the show notes for the episode at our website, adventureriderradio.com. You just look up this episode or search for Jimmy Lewis and you'll find that. And remember that every episode has a comment section at the bottom of it. So if you have some comments on what you just heard today, go in there and and, uh, write it out there and, and put it on our website. Now stick around because we're going to take a quick break to thank a couple of sponsors that help make this episode possible for you. So stay for that. And then when we come back, we've got Southward Chronicles. And I think you're going to like this. Stay with us. So um, I was tagged in a post this week by my friend Clinton Smout. You've heard him on our, our rider skill segments here on the show. Clinton is in in Ontario, Canada. He runs Smart Adventures where he he does rider training. He's completely shut down now because of COVID-19. So he's doing a lot of of garage work and messing with bikes, etc. Anyway, he tags me in this post saying that he ordered Pearly's socks after hearing me go on about them on the show. And, And now he's been wearing them for five days straight. 
He absolutely loves them. Now, the, now the good thing is he's decided to order another pair or two so he can wash them, which I think is a really good idea, Clinton. So Clinton caught the bug. He's fallen in love with the official sock of Adventure Rider Radio, Pearly's Possum Socks. Think about it. When was the last time you heard someone say they bought new socks and they loved them so much they wore them for five days in a row? That's kind of disgusting if you think about it. But the thing is, with, with pearly socks, actually, the, the way they're made, they do absorb moisture and they tend to not stink. I, I, my, my socks have actually never stunk, um, no matter how hot the days have been. And if I wore them one more than one day, I don't think I'd tell you anyway. But um, it's because of the material. And it's, it's possum fur and it's also um, merino wool, which merino wool is well known for absorbing moisture and not smelling. Anyway. Order a pair for yourself. See what all the fuss is about. They are designed specifically for us riders. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com is the website. We have a link on our website as well to them in our sponsor section. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them on Adventure Rider Radio. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com. Again, on this episode, the importance of having your, your feet on your foot pegs comes through. Like we've had, We've been lucky enough to hear some of the best motorcycle trainers in the world on this show and every one of them through our conversations have mentioned the importance of your foot pegs and your connection with them as a matter of fact we've got into great detail with some of them on it with many times and it's because your foot pegs are so important that you should be looking at what ims products is doing with their line of motorcycle foot pegs that are designed specifically for adventure riding and dual sport riding ims builds on their over 40 years of experience to design from the bottom up foot pegs that are suitable to your purpose. Now, we don't all ride the same bikes or have the same expectations of our bikes. That's why IMS makes such a variety of pegs from their their large ADV 1s and 2s, the Core Enduro, the Rally, and more. And so much goes into the design of these pegs. For instance, on the underside of the peg, that that doesn't matter for performance to you um, as far as standing on the pegs, they've designed the angles there so there's no place for the mud to hold onto. That's why they don't clog up when you get into heavy mud. You know, you step your foot down, put your foot up on the peg, it just goes through and falls away. That's a minor thing, but it's huge, really. You know, it's it's a minor design thing, but it's huge for us riders. It it makes the difference, and it's those attention to, de- to those that attention to detail. And same as their staggered tooth design. Um, the staggered tooth design spreads the weight out so that you don't have a, so they're not digging so far into your boot without sacrificing grip. Not to mention that the pegs are made in the USA. They're warranted for life. They're manufactured using a 17-4 cast certified stainless steel and a certified heat treating process. These are the pegs you got to look at. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throwing them an email, whatever, mention that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. This is episode 8 of Adventure Rider Radio's exclusive moto travel series called Southward Chronicles, the ongoing saga of two riders traveling together on separate but parallel journeys. Back in August 2019, we premiered Jeremy Craker and Elle West as they left their prospective homes in Canada and headed south. Jeremy and Elle each saved for years for this incredible adventure. They spent months preparing themselves personally, their finances, and their motorcycles for the journey. They're riding their own motorcycles, and their plan was to ride from Canada to Ushuaia and back. 
Now, they're a couple, but until this trip, their relationship has been a bit of a long-distance one, each living in different cities located about 60 miles or 100 kilometers apart. They carry all their own gear, including tents, just in case they decide to separate while en route. Remember, the relationship has been limited to weekends, so this is a new thing, or it was when they started out. Now, they made it through the U.S. into Mexico, Central America. They crossed the Darien Gap on the Stallrat sailing vessel. They visited Machu Picchu, and ultimately, they ended up at Ushuaia, their turning around point. But as you well know, COVID-19 has basically shut the world down. Now, Jeremy and Al were either unwilling to call it quits and head home, or they waited too long to act. We're going to find out more about that coming up today. But now they've hunkered down to wait out the storm. But as they sit in their rented apartment, wasting away the days, their cash is also wasting away. That hard-earned and even harder-saved cash that took years to accumulate is now being spent seeing four walls and not much else. And money's not the only limiting factor. Jeremy has a deadline to return to work. His leave of absence runs out in the months ahead. Jeremy L., welcome back. Thanks Thanks for having us. Well, and, and of course, we, we know your story up until now. At least we have a pretty good idea of it, uh, those who have been listening to your story. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're all in this situation now, this, this sort of a, of a lockdown here. And that's what's happened to you guys. That's why you're in Uruguay right now. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I want to talk about how this is going to affect your trip. I mean, what, what's happened here is you guys have headed out on this adventure. And, and I think you've been, you were pretty good as, as far as um, thinking ahead, planning, because you guys both left with your own gear. So you could split mm-hmm. up if you needed to and go your yeah. own ways. And that was sort of planning for the worst case scenario, wasn't it? Well, it was kind of funny. Uh, and you've mentioned this before on previous podcasts, Elle and I, had a long distance relationship for about a year or so, maybe two years, actually. <laughs> I have to check the numbers. Um, and then we started this motorcycle trip, which was going to be one year of constant companionship with one another. And we weren't entirely sure what that was going to look like going from a long distance relationship to kind of 24 seven together. So uh, we had two, you know, two tents and two sets of cooking utensils and things like this in the event that we wanted to do separate little side trips. Uh, and also, I didn't have quite as much time as Elle did. So inevitably, I was going to go back to Canada a little bit earlier so uh, we could travel independently. And now you're locked down because this COVID-19 lockdown, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're in one spot. What, what, just very quickly, because I, I don't want to focus on this, but just very quickly, what was your, your deciding factors about this? How did you end up in Uruguay? Like when this all started to happen, what brought you here? We were in Buenos Aires. We did go all the way down to Ushuaia and then came up to Buenos Aires pretty quickly because we had a friend to meet there and a timeline for that. And then we decided to stay in Buenos Aires another week and just relax and enjoy. And we hadn't really planned anything. I mean, we had some ideas. We saw some places on our way down that we knew we wanted to revisit. We missed a few things on the way down we wanted to revisit. But um, generally speaking, we didn't have a concrete plan for where to go next. It was just, we got to get down to Ushuaia before the weather gets too cold. And then we got to get to Buenos Aires for this particular date. And the rest was open. Jeremy doesn't have to be back at work till October. Mm -hmm. So we've got months of open-ended time to do whatever we want. And that should be freeing and liberating. But it also kind of, I think, caused us to freeze a little bit and not have a lot of momentum to keep us moving forward. So we didn't know where we were going to go. You mean just because of the fact that you thought you had tons of time? 
Well, we did have time, but do we want to go to Uruguay or do we want to skip that country? Do we want to go to to Brazil? Is yeah. it worth it with struggling with the language? How much money do we have left? We have to tighten our budget now a little bit. Um, do we want to try going all the way through Brazil, all the way up to the Guyanas? That sounds exciting. Well, can we? We haven't even done a tiniest bit of research about that. Is it rainy season? Is it dry season? What are the roads like? Are there ferry crossings? Do we need to book ahead? We didn't know anything and we hadn't done the research. So we kind of got slowed down a little bit. Well, when you're going south, Jim, uh, you just look at a map and the continent of South America funnels down to a single point. So the farther south you go, the fewer options you have. And then when you turn around from Ushuaia and you start going north, the options are limitless. Where do we want to go? Do we want to go up the west coast or the east coast? Or yeah, like Elle was saying, do we want to go into Brazil? So we just went to Buenos Aires to meet that friend who came all the way down from Alberta to visit with us. And um, we had a great time. I went tango dancing. I relaxed. And we had, we had a lot of laughs. And then our friend left. And we didn't really know where to go next. So uh, we decided we wanted to enter another country. We wanted to have a new experience. We had been in Argentina for quite a while. So we decided to just hop on a ferry and go to Uruguay. And we'd figure it out from there. And then it wasn't long after we arrived in Uruguay that uh, they closed all the borders around us and hotels stopped accepting guests. And, you know, uh, all of our options suddenly became extremely limited. I think we had three nights in Colonia, Uruguay, before everything started shutting down. We tried to find another hotel. We stayed for two nights, asked if we could stay a third, and they said no. The whole hotel is closing. This is it. Other hotels were closing. We're told that even campgrounds would be closing. And we thought, what are we going to do? Um, where are we going to go? Do we want to try getting home? Is it worth it? How can we do it? What's it going to look like? How do we stay safe? What's the most responsible thing to do? And we thought staying still was our best option. We didn't think it would be quite this long. Who knew what it was going to look like? We thought it might only be a couple weeks, but we decided to rent an Airbnb. Luckily, we found one. They were happy to have us. Um, I bet you they're happy to have some income in this time when there's no other tourists. And it's a pretty decent place. So we could park our bikes in the driveway and just sit back and relax. So if it wasn't for Airbnb, where would you be at? We would be stuck. We were uh, like we went to one hostel, like Elle said, there had a, a you know, as a little side story, we had a horrible bed bug experience. Horrible. And, yeah, everything was covered in bites. Horrible. And we had to like steam clean all of our equipment and everything. We're still uh, freezing items that can't be washed. Yeah, we hear you can kill bed bugs in the freezer. So my dry bag is in the freezer and boots have gone in the freezer. That's horrible. But that's a separate story. Anyway, we left that hostel. We went to a, a hotel down the road. And after we left there, um, yeah, we couldn't extend our stay. So we tried to book an Airbnb, and even that was problematic. Right. Uh, it wouldn't take my credit card. It wouldn't take my credit card. I tried a second one. Three cards were declined. Yeah. So finally, I paid with PayPal, and we got in here, and uh, we haven't really moved since. And now we've extended our stay, but we're paying cash. So it makes it more affordable for us. Um, but now when we want to renew our lease or whatever, we have to actually get on a couple of bicycles that our landlords provide. And we have to pedal three kilometers into town and everybody's wearing masks and we have to kind of, you know, There's cycle through the apocalypse the and we get yeah. to the bank machine and blah, blah, blah. And we have to do that every time we want to stay another two weeks or a month. So what's the deal? Have the credit card companies shut your credit cards down? 
no, my card still works at the grocery store. I don't know for sure. I was wondering if maybe there was some influence regarding the situation with this virus and trying to encourage people not to travel, that maybe Airbnb wasn't allowing credit cards, or I don't know. Maybe it was a weird glitch that all three of those cards wouldn't work. But I was nervous in that moment. I was really feeling quite anxious. Mm -hmm. The hotel was kicking us out. We didn't know where we could go. The borders are closed. The hotels are closed. We're hearing the campgrounds are getting closed too. Like, where are we going to go? Like, we will literally be out of options very soon. Yeah, and that was actually our first option when we were getting removed from that uh, second hotel, was there is a campground in town. That was our option A. And then as I was preparing to go there, I started thinking, you know what? I think we're going to be stuck here for a while, and this could happen repeatedly. So why don't we instead book a longer time at an Airbnb, and then we can at least land on our feet. So if that doesn't work, then... If that didn't work, then I didn't know what to do. The only thing that I could think of was we would go down to a park right by the beach and we would set up our tent. And uh, yeah, the police would probably come and say, you can't camp here. Then we would say, all right, take us to jail or like show us where we can spend the night because we can't stay in a hotel. We can't stay in a hostel. The campgrounds are closing. This is our solution. And if it doesn't work for you, that's great. Fine. We'll come live with you then. <laughs> and seriously, I was thinking that too. If we run out of options, well, then some things are beyond our control. If they tell us we're not allowed to stay in hotels or stay in campgrounds or stay anywhere, then they've got to work with us to help us find something or somewhere to go. Mm -hmm. So that kind of helped my anxiety a little bit, knowing that really there's only so much of this that's in my control. Yeah. Unfortunately, we did um, manage to book the Airbnb. We booked it through PayPal. And then once we got here, like I say, we just unloaded our stuff. We came into the place, we washed our hands, like we washed everything. Yeah, we washed everything. Uh, and we just basically have made our camp right here. Well, and that, that brings up the big question. Why didn't you guys leave? Why didn't you find a place to put your bikes or, or fly your bikes out or do something? Why not abandon and head for home? I think at that time, I already felt it was too late that if this is what we need to do to kind of not stop the virus, but to reduce its impact, then the best thing anybody can do is stay still and quit contacting other people. Mm -hmm. So driving from here into Montevideo, which would be the capital and the only place I would know of to find a place to store the bike, would be contacting a lot of other people along the way. Where would I sleep between here and there? There's no hotels open. And where would I eat? There's no restaurants open. Mm -hmm. And then get to an airport. And how crowded would that airport be with all the other tourists trying to get home too? And then transfer, because I don't think there's any direct flights from Montevideo into Alberta. No. So another airport and how crowded would that be? And then where would I stay when I got to Calgary? Well, am yep. I going to stay with family and maybe put them at risk? What if I do carry the virus already or get it through all the contact with these people at airports and buses and then risk their health too? It didn't seem like a smart idea. And yeah, for me, I had all those same thoughts going through my head and I underestimated how long this would play out. Um, but, you know, we could have stored our motorcycles in Montevideo. But like Elle said, um, the safest thing that we could think of was to just stop com coming into contact with people and stay out of crowded airports and airplanes and things like that. Uh, of course, that was before we knew how long this was going to be. But even so, we still have uh, time off of work until October. So, you know, hopefully restrictions get a little bit uh, looser by that time and we can make arrangements to get home somehow. And hopefully we can do it safer between now and then instead of at that time. 
mm. increasing the risk. I like what you're saying because I thought the same thing when they're calling everyone and telling everyone to come home. My thought process is, is that, um, well, you've got all these people who are now rushing to to planes mm-hmm. and airports and stuff and going home. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't everybody just stay put? Mm-hmm. But, you know, there may be other other things in that I'm, that I'm not seeing. But okay, so you're stuck now. You, you've made your choices, whatever the case is, you're where you are, but you also have a looming deadline, at least for Jeremy, as you mentioned, in October coming up. L, not so much because I know L, you're, you're open-ended. You, you can go longer if you want, providing you have enough mm-hmm. cash, but you're sitting there burning through your cash now. It has to be a, a little bit frustrating and understandably. Um, what's this going to do now for, for your trip? How is like How do you picture this playing out? what's going to happen to your trip, to your whole adventure? Well, money is one thing. I think we're doing okay. We're not buying any gasoline, that's for sure. That was in a daily expense that we don't have anymore. Um, we're eating groceries instead of restaurants. So we're actually saving a bit of money compared to what we would normally do. And we pay for a whole month, so we get a pretty good discount through Airbnb too. Um, but the money is still depleting a little by little. Mm-hmm. And I think for us, the biggest thing is, are the borders going to open again anytime soon? Mm-hmm. If if they let's suppose they magically all open up again tomorrow, then yeah, let's travel safely. Um, I don't know. Try to still avoid big cities and crowded subways and tango dancing and things like that, where there's lots of contact with other people. But that's not going to happen. No. So, are we just going to stay here, literally in the exact same place we are for the next three months mm-hmm. longer? I don't know. Personally, I think that's what's going to happen. So Elle is still, uh, she's an optimist. She believes that very likely or possibly the borders will open up and we can still ride back to Canada. I believe that ship has sailed, metaphorically speaking. I think that we are now looking at eventually putting our bikes into storage here in Uruguay and flying home or finding uh, some way to ship our bikes home and flying home as well. So yeah, this definitely has thrown a wrench into our plans and I am upset to a degree and I'm disappointed, of course, but oddly enough, Jim, I'm extremely happy that this happened on the way back from Ushuaia because if I was still on my way south, I think I would feel even more cheated. So, And that's kind of selfish because really we're doing okay compared to how many people who are stuck in worse situations. But yeah, I would feel the same way too. We did get to go all the way to Ushuaia. Anything else is bonus on top of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. And I think a lot of people feel that, you know, and, and I sort of, I think we're all sort of hesitant to say it. You feel cheated, you feel mm-hmm. ripped off. And, but I mean, it's, you mm-hmm. can't help but, but feel that. I mean, we're coming into a season, for instance, in North America where, you know, we're about to, it's motorcycle season, you know, and, yeah. and there's all kinds of things happening in people's lives. And it is a little bit cheated. I mean, you guys chose to do a, a motorcycle adventure at the worst well, not maybe not the worst, but almost the worst yeah. possible time. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're yeah. stuck in a spot. Like you said, it, it may scuttle your your adventure going from here on in because you not only have to ride back, you've got the Darien Gap to to look at as well. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. We were already looking at booking a passage on the Stallrot, maybe on the way back. Um, we were looking at different options, shipping from Colombia and things like this. Now I think that all of that's out the window. You know, and just because other people have it worse than you do, it doesn't mean that your emotions and your feelings aren't valid. Um, I think it's good to to feel those things, but then with a little bit of perspective to say, okay, now I've, you know, personally, I feel like, okay, Jeremy, I've felt sorry for myself long enough. And now it's time to remember that other people are losing their jobs and other people, uh, sadly are losing loved ones and, you know, their health is in danger. And, and currently that's not the situation for us. 
the thing is with, with motorcycle trips is the traditional thought process is any sort of adventure, really, if you think about it, when things go wrong, people always say that's when the adventure really starts. You know, you, you have a breakdown. That's where it starts because you meet people. I mean, almost mm-hmm. everybody has that attitude of when things go wrong. It's when things really happen. It's the, it's the stuff that makes memories for you in the long run. But this, this, I don't think is going to have that effect. It's different. Right. No, no, I agree. Because when your bike breaks down or when something happens or it starts raining or you get a flat tire in the middle of nowhere, then all of a sudden you're flooded with extra stimulus and you're flooded with all these decisions you have to make. And yeah, you do meet new people. And where does that take you? And this is the opposite of that. This is the removal of stimulus. And um you know, it is something that we will remember, but I don't think I'm going to remember how I spent every day lying in a hammock and watching Netflix and editing YouTube videos and things like that. Um, I don't think that's going to be a highlight. It's not going to make for a very interesting chapter in the book if I ever do decide to write one. No, it, it won't be the type of thing where you look back and say, well, think of all those people we met because you didn't no. meet anyone. Yeah. I was thinking maybe I could even improve my Spanish and talk to the neighbors. I'm not talking to anybody. Mm-hmm. How about you guys, as far as a couple goes, as Jeremy, you mentioned, and I, and I have said it on other episodes, you mean, you guys left starting out on this, this close relationship because you only had a long distance relationship. And it's something we've talked about from, from time to time, but, but boy, if, if you, if you could, I don't think you could plan more no. of a, of a compressed forced time together just yeah. by yourselves. You guys have had situations where you've had little arguments, just like all couples do. And you've even went and ate in separate restaurants. Now yeah. you're really condensed. How is that going? <laughs> we thought about this already. We were walking around the block the other day and said, oh, wait till we talk with Jim. First is living apart, then it's traveling together. But at least when you're traveling, you have time apart. Even if you drive the same road, we have our own bikes and our own helmets and our own time in your own head. Now we don't. No. So there's a hammock on the patio, which is smart of Jeremy to string up because if he needs to sleep somewhere else, there's an option. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we are definitely in a very small space. Uh, our, our apartment here is probably what, five or 600 square feet or something like that. But we've got a sunny outdoor patio and a hammock, like I say, and I've been spending a lot of time editing little travel videos for YouTube and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it is intense. And we have talked about how this is going to affect our relationship going forward. Now and then I do find myself uh, more irritable than normal. And so far, I've been able to at least express that to Elle. Uh, you know, I've been able to say, hey, L, <laughs> today I am irritable. I'm not irritated at you necessarily. Which but, is smart to say. But I am irritable. And I just want you to know that. And I'm aware too. Um, but let's, you know, let's just be cautious going forward and see where that leads. And so far it's been okay. Even with that careful dialogue and good communication, there's still moments of foot stomping childish moments on, I think on both our parts, Mm -hmm. there's not very far to go. You might just go to the bedroom, but I have some library books on my Kindle. Thank goodness. And Jeremy does get pretty involved in editing YouTube videos. So he'll disappear into his computer for a couple hours at a time. And then I can breathe and relax and Mm-hmm. You can't go far, but at least we had a little time apart. And that sounds like we're really getting on each other's nerves. And uh, I think that's not actually the case. Given our situation, I think we're doing really well. Mm-hmm. But there have been definitely a few days here and there where, um, for whatever reason, one of us is a little bit short-tempered. And um, it typically passes. And um, we're okay at dialogue, I think. 
So what's the worst case scenario here? You know, you're going to have to call it quits, fly your bikes back. How does that look for you? Well, the worst case scenario is we have to live here now and <laughs> getting Uruguayan citizenship. And I have to learn how to teach English online or something. Right. To make money some way, somehow. Sure. Yeah. That would be the worst case scenario. But yeah, second worst case scenario. Uh, I think we get to Montevideo in a, in a month or two months or three or whatever it takes. And we put our bikes into storage and we leave them there. Um, we've got a friend named Craig Dalek. He lives in Calgary and he's done a bunch of traveling in Uruguay and South America. And uh, so shout out to Craig. He's got some contacts for us. We could put our bikes into storage. And, and we could leave them for a year. We could leave them for a year, maybe even more. Um, or second worst case scenario would be we get to Montevideo, we use Craig's contacts, and uh, then we research how to ship our bikes home from there. So... I think that's what's going to happen. But, you know, Elle and I are still somewhat hopeful that the restrictions will be lifted and at least maybe we can tour around Uruguay for yeah. a month. Even if we can't cross the borders into other countries, at least we could do a little bit of riding around here. That would be nice. Yeah. Mm. So if you leave the bikes, that means the adventure continues. You're, you're forced to go back, which is a great way to do it, too, because it, it forces you to figure out something when you get back. Because when you leave the bikes and you go back home, likely you're gonna to have to go back to work make some money so you're you're talking about what a year or two down the road continuing is that what the idea would be i don't know that we could continue really like it might be more of a fly back figure out a way to ship the bikes yeah. or fly um, back and ride them quickly like just book it as directly as you can without actually taking a lot of time to enjoy the ride yeah because i worked for a lot of years to save this much money to take this time off yeah i don't see that happening again quickly and I work for uh, the town of Canmore, so I got a uh, year's leave of absence for this trip. Uh, I don't think they would look favorably upon giving me another six months uh, to go collect my motorcycle. They might, actually. They're, they're a great employer, but, um, you know, I can't count on that. I think we'd be looking at shipping home. I don't want to. But that's and we're not making that decision now. No. We've paid for another month here. We've agreed that we're just going to hang tight at least until June 1st. By the time June rolls around, then we see what's happening in the world, watch the newscasts and see if things are starting to open up or not and decide what our plan might be then. I'm just a little bit nervous that if we do get permission to leave the country with our bikes, that we then go into Argentina or Brazil, uh, maybe even go into Paraguay, and then the borders close again. So if there is any place in the world, in South America rather, to be stuck you want to be stuck in either Argentina or Uruguay, I think, or maybe because all of those places have big capitals, um, reliable transportation hubs, and you could probably ship your bike home. So if this is it, if this is the end of the trip, in the worst case scenario, you find that you're staying there too long, you end up going home. How do you feel about it? Not very good. Um, I feel... Okay, I'm at peace with it because we did what we set out to do originally, which was get to our, get to Ushuaia. So for me, that was the big prize. And then when we rode back from Ushuaia to Buenos Aires, I talked with Elle about this. Uh, I actually felt post-trip depression in Buenos Aires. I was down. I was kind of, um, you know, lacking spark that I that I had before that. Uh, normally you experience that after you get back from a big trip. I think I went through it in Buenos Aires. So for me, I will be disappointed. Yes. 
I will be sad, yes, but hey, I still made it all the way down to Ushuaia. And a lot of people do that anyway. They go from Canada to Ushuaia and then to Buenos Aires and they ship their bikes home or they fly home. Um, so we will have done a pretty big, pretty cool thing. Um, it didn't quite end up the way I wanted it to, but that's just the way the, the cookie crumbles sometimes. I don't really want to go home without my bike. I think landing back in Canada with no motorcycle would not feel good at all. That's not what I envisioned at any point in time. Mm-hmm. No matter how I got back, I didn't see me being separated from my bike and not being able to continue the rest of the trip. I think part of me is still hopeful that I'll get to do more travel and actually ride back, even if it takes three months or who knows how long, because I want to hang on to that idea. That's what gives me some motivation to keep getting up every day and thinking, okay, this sucks right now, but it can't stay this way forever. Al, in particular for you, because um, you said you saved for years. I know you both did, but you said you saved for years. You left your job and, and you're sort of open-ended for your return. Did you think about it before you left about life after the trip? I mean, did you sort of uh, imagine that, okay, when I get back, this is what I'm going to do? I mean, when Jeremy gets back, he's got his job to do. He's got his his condominium to go back to. But did you do that? Not really. I mean, there are some ideas that float around in my head and some possibilities, but nothing planned, nothing concrete. Um, I don't even know for sure if I would live in Calgary or if I would choose somewhere else. Um, I do have a job with Motology School, but I kind of don't think they're teaching any motorcycle (laughs) students right now. So is that job even available? Um, Everything is up in the air right now. Nothing is for sure. How about the next adventure? Are are you guys at the point yet where you've thought about the next adventure saying, okay, well, when we get back, no matter what, this is what we should consider thinking about. Yeah, we've got a few ideas actually, but they all took, yeah, they all took a, like I say, a bit of a left turn. So originally our thought was we ride our motorcycles all the way back to Canada and then we save again for another few years and then we do a shorter, but maybe more intense trip, which is uh, around the world kind of journey. So that would be four months um, and you kind of follow the North American summer and then you you do a lap of the globe and come back. Um, That's still on our kind of our back burner, I would say. All in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. Um, of course, the the classic um, London to Cape Town kind of trip, that appeals to me as well. Right now, it's quite difficult given what's going on in the Middle East. But um, we definitely have some ideas for other adventures, big and small. Another thing that I would like to do is ride up to Tuk Tuk in, in uh, Canada. Um, and then we've got some other ideas that don't involve motorcycle travel like um, possibly looking at property and things like this, but that's maybe not an adventure. That's more like looking into the future kind of thing. Mm. Has this changed the way that you guys think about motorcycle travel, the, the way you would even, even as you're, you're considering the possibilities of doing something around the world, uh, London to Cape Town, anything like that, does it change the way you think about it? Uh, or the, like, in other words, when you were, if you were thinking of planning one right now, would you say, well, hang on, we wouldn't do this because of any of this possibility? No, I still love it. And that's when I'm happiest is when I'm riding, uh, with my lovely girlfriend beside me or behind me or in front of me or whatever. And we're just eating up some miles and we're experiencing new culture and new landscapes and we're meeting people. I am really happy when, when that's happening. So, um, I, you know, I could be happy doing it in a car or a van. I could be happy just taking a trip on a, on a plane somewhere, but I like the idea of movement of motion. 
and um, especially being with someone that I care about and, and sharing the experience with. So I hope we go on many more motorcycle trips. And as I age, Ella's not aging. She stopped aging when she was 14. <laughs> but as I age, um, I would do smaller trips or trips within Canada and trips within the United States. Um, and for me, that would that would still be something to look forward to and hang on to and, and just eat up and, and enjoy. I think I've thought of the possibility on occasion of four-wheel travel. Uh, there will be a time sooner or later when motorcycle travel gets to be uncomfortable enough as we get old enough, I would imagine. And then maybe a bed that travels with you that you don't have to lay on the ground every night or um, a fridge and a sink that comes with you that you don't need to unpack and set up would be really handy to have, whether that's a small van or an RV. Um, don't know if that'll happen, but every once in a while on our travels, when you've seen uh, an RV or a van, I mean, I've thought, geez, they get to just close the door. Yeah. have warm bed. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have to sleep outside in the rain. They don't have to get rained on while they're traveling. They don't, you know, they can adjust the temperature with the dial of a knob. Yeah. That looks a lot more comfortable. But then as soon as the sun comes out and I'm flying down the road again, I'm always happy I'm on my bike. Yep. Same here. For me, there's an intermediate step, I think. Um, and so Elle was very gracious when she said it. She's like, well, we're aging, but really it's me. <laughs> I've got some joint issues that will eventually become problematic, I think. Um, but I think there's an intermediate step before we go to an RV or a van or a car. Uh, I think I would move up to a bigger motorcycle, do easier roads and actually carry, dare I say it, a tent trailer. I know mm -hmm. it's pretty hard to imagine, but I, I know someone who does that and he travels all over North America. He's got joint issues as well. He actually broke his back at one point. So, um, but he carries a, a tent trailer. His setup is amazing. So I think I would go to that system uh, before I would go to the RV, but I could see that happening too. Oh, Jesus, this and, is getting terribly depressing. The next thing you know, we're going to be talking about <laughs> old age homes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let's hope well, you guys it, never get that old. I really hope well, that. Elle won't. She, It'd be nice, but I think it's going to happen sooner or later. Yeah. And also there is a money component to it too, right? Mm -hmm. Because neither Elle nor I are independently wealthy. Obviously we don't have income properties or things like this. So we are currently burning through our retirement funds. So we are just um, making money and spending it. Uh, so, you know, maybe we can't buy an RV or, or whatnot. But um, I think motorcycle travel, for the time being, is in our future. Well, you guys enjoy the sunshine while you've got it there. And um, we'll see where this goes. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much, Jim. We uh, we appreciate it, and we always like checking in with you. Yeah, always a pleasure to chat with you, Jim. That was Jeremy Craker and Elle West on our exclusive Southward Chronicles story. If you'd like to follow along on their social media channels, we've got links in the show notes on our website, um, and also you can search on the, the search bar of our website on the right-hand column of AdventureRiderRadio.com. Just search for Jeremy, L or Southward Chronicles, and you'll get all of the episodes that we've had them on, and you can just click on them to check on those show notes.
Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. That about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, of course, the listener, for being a part of this. Now, um, don't forget, we have another show called ARR Raw that comes out once a month. You need to subscribe separately. And hey, if you haven't done it already, we would love it if you would go everywhere that you can find the show and give us a rating. Of course, obviously, I'm looking for a five-star rating. I'm hoping you're going to do that. But uh, give us a rating. Let other people know what you think of the show. That's really important because it's something we haven't asked um, uh, very many times, really, with the show. And we would love it if you could do it for us. So go around there, Facebook, um, any of the apps you find on, in particular iTunes, go give us a rating on there. We would really appreciate that. If you're not doing it already, we do need your support. It's built on a model of some advertising and listener support. And in this economic climate, we need listener support more than ever. Drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com, and click on support. Anyway, my name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening. Talk to you next week. Simon Pavey here calling to you from uh, sunny Wales and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 